Colossians chapter 1, today we'll be looking at verses 21 to 23. When someone speaks of knowing the will of God, and in particular, knowing the will of God for your life, what is it that comes to mind? Probably, um, if I had to guess, I would say that for most believers in the church today, what would come to mind is God's plan, as it is, specifically and uniquely tailored for me. We would think of probably big things in our lives, like what we will do for work, our career, vocation, uh, who it is that we will one day marry, if that is included in the plan of God that we'll marry, how many children we'll have, where we'll live, and, and all of those things. That's not what we're talking about when we are understanding what God's will is and we must be filled with the knowledge of it in Colossians chapter 1. I want us to come to a better understanding of that today and I think that it will lead to great worship on our part to the Lord. The Lord tells us in Colossians 1, we looked over these verses a couple of weeks ago, that key to growing in the Lord is being filled with the knowledge of His will. Being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, then you and I must be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Again, I hope that's familiar to you because it was just a couple of weeks ago that we studied this truth. Now, if we're going to avoid, and I'm assuming that you want to avoid this, if we're going to avoid spiritual claustrophobia, then we must not make knowing God's will all about me, all about you. Paul is not talking about something so narrowly confined as to what God's will is specifically, uniquely tailored just for me. I mean, if if that was the key to growing in the Lord, walking worthily of Him, fully pleasing to Him, we would be in heaps of trouble. Because the Bible does not differentiate in its revelation from what God's will is uniquely for your life as it is you know, separated from what God's will is uniquely for my life. So if that was the key to walking worthily of the Lord, knowing that, we would be in a lot of trouble. Instead, being filled with the knowledge of God's will means that we must be filled with the knowledge of God's will concerning Christ. It's God's will, really, as we're going to get into, for all things in Christ. And so what we see in what we saw last week in verses 15 to 20 is God's will for His Son beautifully unfolded. And um, we'll get to that in a moment. But let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer first and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. And I, I pray this, that this time would truly be a blessing to my church family, that your word put into our hearts by your Holy Spirit would build us up into Christ, that we would grow together up into Jesus mature us, ground us. And I pray, Father, that 
we would be led to walk more closely and faithfully with You. I pray that You would give to me Your Holy Spirit as I preach. Give to my church family Your Holy Spirit as they hear the Word. May I too be a hearer of the Word. And may we all be doers of Your Word. Work, Father, for Your honor and glory and our true good in Your Son. It's in His name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so what is God's will concerning His Son? Again, we must be filled with the knowledge of this in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in verses 15 to 20, we saw this beautifully unfolded. God's will concerning Jesus. It is God's will that Jesus be the head of all. The head of the first creation and the head of the new creation. The beginning of life and the beginning of new life. God gave it to His Son to make all things and to make all new. To reconcile the fallen world to Himself through the blood of His cross. So that Jesus will be, as Eddie read just a little bit ago, Jesus will be preeminent in everything. Let's think for a moment. Let's let's frame this in terms of some of the big questions that we raise in life. I think our first question is, how did we get here? What is the answer to our origin? Colossians 1 says, Jesus. What is the purpose of life? Jesus. How can all that is wrong in this world be made right? The answer again is Jesus. And where is all of this creation and history? Where is it all headed? It's headed to Jesus. So in other words, when I am talking, when rather, when Colossians is talking about God's will concerning His Son, we can see that God's will concerning Jesus encompasses everything. Nothing is left out. Jesus will be Lord over all. Everything is going to come under His perfect Lordship because He is all. He is supreme. So God's will for the creation is in Christ and His will for the new creation is in Christ and it all centers on Jesus. He is preeminent in everything. So, do you know what this means? It means that the will of God that you must know that you must be, the knowledge that you must be filled with to walk worthy of the Lord, that will is not all about you and it does not center on you. And although that is true, it most certainly and in the most amazing ways includes you. It does not center on you, but God's will concerning His Son includes you. And that is where we turn next in Colossians 1 to verses 21 to 23. The last thing that we, we read, Eddie read this a moment ago, in, uh, the last thing we read in verses 19 to 20, what we studied last week, is that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus so that through Jesus all things may be reconciled to Jesus, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross of Jesus. And then it says in verse 21, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. God's will concerning Christ for Christ includes you and includes me in this reconciliation plan. Have you ever noticed that when Paul talks about who we are and and what we have as believers, that he so often frames it in terms of what we once were and what we are now? And you can see that in that language in, in the verses that I'm reading here. What we once were, but what we have now. And Paul loves to do this. This is his habit all through his letters. He, he, he lays out the misery of what we had apart from Christ, our spiritual condition apart from Christ. He lays it out, all of the misery, so that we may rightly wonder at the mercy we have been shown by God. So we need to understand, we need to understand these things to, to worship rightly, to, to, to truly comprehend what God has done for us in Jesus. It says we were alienated. We were hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. And did you notice, I hadn't thought of this earlier, but we sang these words when we were singing the power of the cross. Um, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. That's that's what this is. Hostile in mind, every bitter thought, every evil deed, like it says, doing evil deeds. This alienation from God happened right in the beginning. After creation, in Adam, our representative before God there in the garden. When Adam sinned against God in the beginning, he ran. And he hid himself in shame and in dread. And you and I are born no different from this. We're born on the run. We're born with the traitor's guilt. And we're born with a traitor's heart. Alienated from Christ, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You see how totally absorbed we were with sin apart from Christ? It it infected every part of us. Inward and outward. That's how our enmity against the Lord was expressed. Hostile in mind, inward, doing evil deeds, outward. Totally absorbed by sin and so utterly separated from Jesus Christ. But we know before Adam even acknowledged his sin, God promised a redemption. And from that point forward, humankind was looking for a Savior. But as Ray pointed out a couple of times in his lesson this morning in Sunday school, we would never imagine that the redemption achieved for us would be accomplished like this. It would never enter the heart of man that the Creator Himself would take on our human flesh, our humanity, in full, without our sin, to bear in Himself the guilt of our sin on the tree. That He would be banished He would be forsaken, cast out into the darkness so that we might be brought back into the light of the love of God. That's what it says in verse 22. But Christ has now reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death. Paul lays out the misery of our condition and what we deserved, 
apart from God's mercy so that we would revel in that mercy, so that we would make much of God for his mercy. Our whole being stored up wrath and the whole being of Christ suffered that wrath for us. Though we sought sin because we loved it, Jesus sought us because he loved us even still. Ray referenced this passage this morning, Matthew 27. There on the cross, in the utter darkness, suffering the curse of sin, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off that we might be brought in, reconciled to God. And so by faith in him, any sinner by faith in Jesus Christ may be reconciled to God. We may have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this changes everything for us. You know, when you think back to the garden again and Adam hiding on the run from God, Adam and Eve both. Now we're no more hiding in shame and dread from God. But rather, Colossians is going to say, we'll get to this in a little while, our lives are hidden with God in Christ. That's the wonder of the gospel. All of this being said, we're not done yet. We're talking about God's will for us in Jesus, and God is not done there. It's not simply God's will that we, you know, acceptably coexist with Him or have, uh, we live on, on some kind of good terms with Him. This is not the, the purpose of God for us, for His people. What God sent Jesus for, what Jesus secured in His sacrifice at the cross is so much more than that. But I, I also want to say, and I, I wish this could go without saying, but such is the nature of our hearts that uh, it doesn't go without, without saying. So many pe- people presume on this grace that it just means now we can live as we please. God's grace abounds more than my sin, so why can't I just go on and sin? I'll be happy, God will be happy, you know, because God likes forgiving and I like sinning, that kind of thing. This is not why Christ died. We dare not think that we can live in what Jesus died for. It's not why Christ died. Jesus has reconciled us to himself through his death. Look at the end of verse 22. In order to present us to himself holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the will of God for your life. This is why Jesus died. This is why he brought you into reconciled relationship with God. He is making all things new and He is making you new too. And that new creation has already started in all of those who believe. So where are we headed? Where are we going? One day you will be freed from every single besetting sin. Every sin that you carry within you as such a heavy burden is going to be lifted off and and cast off forever. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, every hostile thought, all of it, it's going to be cast off forever and you will be freed. And you will be 
In a parallel passage in Ephesians, not just Ephesians, in the words of Jesus, you, you will be a wondrous sight. You will be a wondrous sight. In Ephesians 5, it says, this is God's will for us in Christ. Listen, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her to himself, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the knowledge of the will of God. This is God's plan, His purpose for His people in Jesus. I mean, how how does that look compared to, well, knowing God's will must be about His plan as it is uniquely for me and what I'm going to do exactly from day to day and year to year. I mean, how small does that look compared to this, what God is doing for His people in Jesus and where we are headed? And I'm not saying that those things are unimportant. They're not. But when we talk in the church typically about knowing the will of God for our lives, we, we are obsessing over what is just unique to us. It's so spiritually claustrophobic, so individualistic, and we miss out on, on the glory of God and, and we, we rob God of the worship that comes from with the knowledge of the truth. So this is where you are headed. You are headed to Christ to shine like the sun in the kingdom of Christ. I think a lot of people would think, well, that sounds very uh, fairy tale-ish and fanciful and maybe even... That's the, that's the words of Jesus Himself. Matthew chapter 13, that we will shine like the sun in His kingdom, in the beauty of the splendor of holiness. If you are filled with the knowledge of this will of God for you, you will walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Now let's go on to the verse, uh, to verse 23. Even as I am very confident of your future in Jesus, if you are truly in Jesus, we must be aware that this future is conditional. And we can't, we cannot dismiss this. We cannot brush this off as the tendency is of so many. But look at what is said here. You will be presented to Christ holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if. Let's take that word seriously. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We must, if we are going to be with Christ, presented to Christ in splendor, we must persevere in the faith. Now my question that I'd like to answer this morning is, 
is that hard? Is persevering in the faith hard? First answer is yes. Okay? And I'll give you three reasons why. That yes, perseverance is hard. It's hard, first of all, not first in order or first in importance, but first what I'm giving you. First in my list. It's hard because of false teachings. Because of the ubiquitous nature of false teachings, even around us. There, there are, there are false doctrines rampant in our community in, in, in North Louisiana. It's truly awful. You talk to people about the Lord and those who hold the false doctrines. If you're having, you know, the, the spiritual religious conversation, it will come up pretty quickly. And it is an awful thing. It, it makes you grieve. But this is one reason why persevering in the faith is hard. The hope that is for us is not of us. That is, it's not from us. It's not, it doesn't originate with us. We don't make this up. We, we don't have any authority in this matter. We cannot make up our own hope. We can't make up our own truth. My truth, your truth. Does this sound like the world? You know, you have your truth, I have my truth. Live and let live and all of that. But we dare not tamper with the faith. We dare not twist it or fall in line with those who do. There are many alternative spiritualities out there. You know, paths to your true self, your whole self, spiritual fullness, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. That's how it all sounds, really. But every single one of them is a lie. And there are many alternative hopes out there. But every single person who who fastens on to them will perish in the end. All of the, the, the hopers and the alternative hopes are going to be put to shame. And Paul, Paul brings this up all through this letter because this is where the Colossians were tempted to turn to the alternatives, to the supplements, to the add-ons to Jesus. But whoever makes up their own truth and their own hope will perish in the end. This is the Word of God. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It's God's truth. It's the hope of the Gospel of God concerning His Son that has been delivered to the saints once for all. So if you are going to persevere in the faith, you must hold fast to the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Trust absolutely in the Word of God. And all will be well. The second reason why perseverance is hard is because of the flesh. What we could call the sin nature or the principle of sin, where when we want to do what is right, as Paul says in Romans 7, evil lies close at hand. It's a law, he said. When I want to do what is right, evil is close at hand. Where? In here. In me. In my spiritual self. In my heart. Though we have been born again by the Spirit in Christ, though the Spirit indwells us, continuing the work of God in us and, and ruling us, yet we have this flesh. So as you go on to glory, 
and aim to persevere in the faith to the end, you are going to be tempted away from Jesus and tempted severely. And those temptations are not only going to come from without, they are going to rise up from within so that you will in one hour weep over sin and in the next hour relish that sin. War is going to wage within you. So yes, it's going to be hard to persevere in the faith. You're going to be weary in the fight. Third reason that perseverance in the faith is hard is because of the world. Do you think that the world is neutral when it comes to Jesus and to Christianity? The world is not neutral. They're, they're not straddling the fence and neither can you or me. <laughs> No one can straddle the fence. You cannot serve. Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have two lords. In the West, we are seeing the world increasingly shaming Christians for holding fast to Jesus and the teachings of the Christian faith. And if you are faithful to Jesus, you are going to lose face with the world. And you need to anticipate that. You need to expect that. Anybody who is going to come to faith in Jesus must count that cost from the beginning. And as we are witnessing and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, we need to tell those people that we're talking to that they must count the cost because the world will be against them. As they hated our Lord, so they will hate us, His people. The Bible says, In John 12, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Listen to this. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They would rather be put out from God than put out of the synagogue. Why? Because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And don't you, when you're... Hear that. Don't you think that is insane? That is spiritual insanity. But that is within us too. And nobody's exempt from that. That flesh inclination to love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. But listen, James wrote, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot... Live for Christ and the world both. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral territory. It's either Jesus or the world. So yes, persevering in the faith until the end is a very hard thing. And I want to give you a warning too. These have been a bunch, it's been a bunch of warnings, I guess, but uh, here's another one. The spiritual powers that oppose you may have rebelled against their maker very swiftly. But they're quite happy for you to turn away from Jesus slowly. So that if you end up defying Christ, you don't even know how you got there. Because it was just one compromise after another, which seems so small, just a little sin, a little delving in, that's all, and that's it. Just 
but one compromise after another, day after day, on and on, year after year, and in the end, defiance of Jesus Christ. They're happy. The spiritual powers that oppose us are happy if we just drift away. So let me ask you, if you, if you blinked right now and you came to in the place where the eyes of your heart have been fixed for, let's say, this past summer, if you ended up right now in the place where the eyes of your heart have been fixed, what you've been hoping for and what you've been after from the heart, where would you be right now? Would you come to living the good life or some, you know, some form of that? Whatever your particular, uh, you know, American type dream would be? Or would you be standing with Christ in glory? If you could have your present hopes fulfilled right now, where would you be? Living the good life or standing with Christ in glory? The hope of the gospel will only come to fruition if that hope remains until the end. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he means by if. So it's hard. And so our next question is, can I persevere until the end? Will I? Is this even doable? And here's the Bible's answer. The Bible's answer is that God will do it. God will do it. Hard as we may find it, perseverance to the end is guaranteed to our, to all who are in Christ. Not a single one will be lost to the world, to the flesh, or to the devil and his minions, the false teachers. Not a single one will be lost. It is guaranteed. Consider these promises. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You must work and God will work. You must endure and God will see to it. So is continuing in the faith stable and steadfast? Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard? Hard. Yes, it's hard. But it's the opposite of a burden. It's hard, but it's the opposite of a burden. And the how we go on with joy, knowing that this is no burden to us, is we must remember the greatness of our hope. We must rejoice in that this is the will of God for my life. So Paul is about to say, this is the riches of glory. That's our hope. If you're a believer, do you remember when the, the light of the gospel first dawned on you? That you have been, you have been saved in Christ to Christ? Do you remember 
realizing how wonderful it is to be saved to Jesus. Can you picture anything more amazing than being presented to your maker in splendor, the one who loved you and redeemed you as his own? Do you remember kind of coming to, again, to the gospel and loving and singing and and wondering at it? Remember how great your hope is and you will persevere to the end. You will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God with Jesus. You will be shown for endless ages the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness in Christ. This is the will of God for your life. This is where all is headed for God's people. You can rejoice in that hope, the the hope of glory, because it will not disappoint you. No matter what sufferings lie ahead for you, no matter what warfare we must face, we will not be disappointed. We are going to Christ. And the world has nothing on this. Does it? The pleasures of the flesh, the temporary pleasures of sin. Can anything compare to being with Christ in his glory? In the embrace of our Savior? It is hard to persevere, but it is no burden when you remember how great and glorious your hope in Jesus is. We're in him already, and we will be with him soon. Asaph. And Psalm 73 gave us such a, a good song. Whom do we have in heaven but Him? And there is nothing on earth to desire besides Him. Our flesh and our heart may fail, but God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Do your lips confess it? Does your heart sing it? Is that your hope? Christ is your portion, and we will be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your word and your promise to us in Jesus for the surety of being with him. Nothing, no scheme of man or hell can keep us from Christ. We we who believe, who are in Him now, we will be with Him. Father, if there is someone resistant to Your Son, I pray that You would break their resistance. Let them see, Father, how You love them how you love them. And no matter what their life has been, whether by their own experience or the wrong that they have done, they may know you, have all their sin forgiven, cast away, forgotten. I pray, Father, that all here would know you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.